Hello and welcome to More of a Comment Than a Question. My name is Paul Connor and I'm joined by my friend and colleague Smriti Mehta. Smriti, how are you this week? Um, this week, I'm, I'm okay. You know, the, the week actually started out pretty shitty, like really awful. But I realized that I can recover from really shitty days pretty okay. So, you know, it ended fine. So not too bad. How about, how about it you? It ended fine. Why? Because Trump yeah. got COVID? Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. This is like no, the little bit of glimmer of hope we all kick, made. Right? It gives you a little hope. In these dark times. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's crazy. Kellyanne Conway's got yeah. it. Uh, his campaign manager's got it. They, they're just... They're all hugging themselves, like hugging each I other. Chris like, Christie has it too. Like, it's just... Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, poetic justice. Did you hear him just insult, like, or mock Biden for wearing, wearing a, a mask. mask? He's like, oh, he's yeah. going around this big mask. I've never seen such a big mask. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. The- <laughs> big mask, Joe Biden. Um, yeah. I don't know what to say. It feels like... We're living in a weird, surreal dream, and yeah, it's yeah. it's crazy that there's going to be an election in like forty yeah, days. It's like a reality TV show that there just like turns, twists, and turns like every week. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, ne- anyway, never a dull moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before the world ends, we wanted to do a podcast with a very special guest who is uh, you know quite close to both of us. Uh, so today we're going to be talking to. Professor Serena Chen. So Serena is both of our advisor at UC Berkeley, um, distinguished psychological scientist, and recently became chair of uh, the UC Berkeley psychology department. So uh, we're very excited to talk to her today. And Serena, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's our pleasure. So, Smithy, we have a few things we wanted to talk to Serena about, but um, what should we ask her first? Um, what should we ask her first? I think we should ask her how her week has been. Serena, how's your week been? <laughs> Every day is something new, but the highlight of the week by far was a celebration we had in honor of the former chair who was chair for five years, which is very unusual and very generous of her. Um, And, you know, it was just really great to see so many people get together and heartening. that's Anne Kring. Yes, that's Anne Kring, who served us for five years. And and in addition to her last year, which was extra, because I I wasn't ready to take on chair yet, she got the wildfires in the fall and the pandemic in the spring. Mm. But, but even before that, she moved us from Tolman Hall to mm. Berkeley Way West. And I mean, that isn't uh, what that means. I, you can't even imagine the, yeah. the amount of work and detail and um, just effort she put into that in the most humble way. Um, anyway, she's, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful celebration and really made us feel good about our community. Um, we had certain emeriti faculty reflecting on what they're seeing now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's not perfect. There, there are yeah. skir- skirmishes here and there. Um, but we are all very lucky, I think, to be part of this community. And a lot of that is due to people like Anne and the tone she set, mm-hmm. her yeah. focus on equity, you know, her willingness to help people, et cetera. So it was lovely. It was really, really lovely. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's fantastic. I mean, it's amazing. Like you mentioned before, Anne is a woman. And so you're also a woman. And this is the first time that, you know, this role has been passed on from a woman to woman, which I think is so fantastic, which brings us to what we, the other thing we want to talk about, which is the recent, the paper that came out, um, in perspective on psychological science called the future of women in psychological science, who I think was spearheaded by one of the former grad students here, June Gruber, and has a lot of Berkeley um, female faculty on it, right? Like you're on it, um, Sylvia Bungay's on it, Anne is also on it, um, Alison Gopnik, um, Sherry Johnson, all of these people are on it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, It was, I mean, to give credit where it was due, there was about four or five um, individuals, the first four or five authors who really did all of the heavy lifting on it. And this is a many years process, uh, a labor of love and importance um, to the women who spearheaded it. Um, it. June Gruber took the lead and June Gruber was, uh, I think she worked with Anne Crane mm, and Dacker and maybe Bob Levinson. I can't remember mm. exactly. Yeah. But she, she was one of ours. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Anne Kring was only the second female chair in our long history. Karen Devaloy was the first, and I'm only the third. So, yeah. you know, it's And good. the first Asian-American, the, and the first Asian-American period chair of the psychology department. That's true. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Yeah. Yay. Something new. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're getting there. Yeah. Great. But so, yeah, I think the one big thing that I wanted to ask you about when I was reading this paper, what came to my mind is they're saying, okay, based on all these metrics, it seems like there's still some disparities that exist between men and women in psychological science. And some of these things I was looking at and I'm like, but should we really be measuring like the worth of scientists on these metrics that right? it's kind of weird to say, hey, we need to change the status quo because these metrics that are set up by the status quo, like we're not measuring up to them. Right. Some of these things I see, like publication numbers and citation numbers, I'm like, should we really be measuring like our worth based on these metrics? Well, I mean, uh, that's those are the rules of the game. And the focus is <laughs> yeah. more on the gender inequities there. Um, so I, I accept those rules for now. I mean, that's what we're constrained to do. And it's not OK that women are not treated the same or fairly. Um, as men are. So give me a concrete example of what you're thinking that should we even be concerned because these metrics are themselves um, right. So just, just, in, just if you look at only productivity, right? If like how much papers you're churning out, like I was recently talking to a, a fellow grad student, like a female grad student who said that she knew somebody from like back in the day who's just pub- has published a lot of papers, a lot of like, you know, first author papers, just even as a grad student, but most of that research is just, you know, not that useful in the real world. And I'm like, yeah, like if, like if, and I mean, the paper says that, yeah, women just produce less research, right? Just overall. I don't think that's a bad thing if they're doing good research or, you know, just high quality research. Like, I don't think the, the amount of papers that you're just churning out like, should, like, I don't think that should really determine whether we think somebody, again, those are the way things are set up. I agree. But I feel like, shouldn't we be trying to change that instead of saying, hey, we are not measuring up because of these standards? Well, yes, but that's not the only standard that is talked about in the paper, sure, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think anyone would say a single um, metric matters. I mean, quality matters. And that's captured 
also imperfectly through things like the H index, you know, to what extent is your paper cited? To what Mm -hmm. extent is it generative of other research, meaning also replicable, um, and so forth. So, um, but all of those things have issues too. So it's very complicated. I would say, but, you know, even holistic, if we take a lot of different metrics, it's still the case that women are disadvantaged. And that's something that's coming out in the pandemic too. I mean, it's... You know, it, the pandemic is hurting women more in general in the workforce, and that's true also in academia. That, so that's what initial data suggests. Mm. So when you say women are disadvantaged, what, are, what do you think are the key ways um, in this paper that, that indicate that they are disadvantaged? And what do you actually mean by disadvantaged? Because some of it, like, some of it is a bit ambiguous, right? Like there's... Um, this key finding seems to be that women publish less and are cited less, but, and, and the paper admits that the mechanism is, is quite ambiguous. So like, I mean, you're a woman and you've been in the field for a long time. What do you actually think are the key ways that women are disadvantaged by the system as it is? Well, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but I mean, an example of how one mechanism to explain less citations is implicit bias. We implicitly, women and men alike, perhaps give men's research more credence, maybe. Um, But even more concretely, um, there's disparities in the visibility of women um, in conferences. There's been analyses. I can't remember if this was reported in the paper, but some of the authors have done these kinds of analyses. If you look at symposia, and chairs a symposia, symposia at at least in our field, mm-hmm. our subfield of psychology. Um, you know, more far more often than not, you know, there's more men who um, get those um, spotlight spots at conferences than women do, and that is a way to get your research known and therefore cited. Um, and invited to the next thing and so forth. It builds on itself. Um, but you could then ask, why does that happen? Okay, why does that happen? Yeah. Well, there's lots of reasons. Again, that could be that implicit gender bias. Um, but the other thing is it's far bigger, more structural things could be uh, at work. I-, I left the conference circuit for five, six years when I had children. Mm. You know, I didn't even apply to things because I, I had to take care of my kids. You know, and there's uh, no matter how much I believe in gender equality in the household you know gender roles are deeply ingrained you know and only i could breastfeed okay so that's that's the bottom line so um you know and so i have those uh Things that we can they like, have all sorts of things, but now. my yes. wife is very You're excited still the only about one producing yeah yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. you know there's all these you know ways that could lead to that outcome mm. you know and, and it doesn't have to be you know it doesn't mean like people are being bad people mm. you know these are you know there's but there are you know lots and lots of avenues for why women may end up publishing less you know and mm. you know this yeah, is why efforts have been made to provide childcare at conferences so you can bring your children there um mm. and things like that in an attempt to yeah address this create some yeah. I guess I, I will go ahead go ahead. 
Can I just ask about citations though? Because I'm like, how many times, is, is that even easy to tell if you're just citing papers, who, whether it was a man or, well, Well, you not. could do those analyses. I have not tried it, but. Right. I mean, no, I, I'm not denying that they get cited more often, but that could just be that men publish more often, not so much that. Or I guess if you control for that, it's just not clear to me how often somebody's like, a, well, how many times is it ambiguous what the gender of the author is, right? I think that happens quite a lot. Like, you mean, I'm not sure if implicit bias would, yeah, if you right. don't even know what the gender is. Right, right. You're yeah. saying, you know, how could it be implicit bias when I'm sitting there reading a <laughs> paper? Yeah. yeah, and I don't even know. Yeah, no, mm. no that's, that's true. It's possible, but... You know, we often do. I mean, it's something right. we pick up eventually. Mm. Um, but there's also, yeah, there's disparities on who's publishing. Like there was right. a relationship between the um, impact factor of journal and, and right. gender, right? There was this sort of uh, R squared of like 0.06, um, which is like oh, not massive, okay. but not, not, not nothing for sure. Like yeah. big, bigger than yeah. most psychological effects. So like... You know, when you do a, a Google Scholar search, you generally grab the papers that are most cited, that come up at yeah. the top, and that, you know, True. so there's, there can be a vicious cycle. I, yeah. I mean, I do wonder how much of these things, like one thing that was really clear to me in the paper was that, like, um, there are, like, sh- these huge historical imbalances uh, that are probably still affecting all these numbers, right? So you, you talk about um, in, like, Professor Emirate. Em- emirati emirati um emeritus yeah emeritus emeritus yeah. <laughs> they're, they're like uh, more um you know if there's far more gender imbalance there uh right. then there are in like assistant professors and even in some metrics uh in terms of early career stage uh there was sort of a bias favoring women i saw like right. at, at the start of the paper so like i do wonder like because if you did have this large gender imbalance in the past that could still be affecting who is the senior author or who's sort of running the big labs and stuff like that and that could affect how many people yeah how many people are publishing and stuff like that so yeah i guess i do wonder how much this stuff we just have to kind of wait like we and it and it may just be the case that it's uh you know it's a it's a result Mm -hmm. of like sexism in the past right like or gen- gender roles being much stronger in the past i mean even like even when i, I don't i don't think we can just sit by mm. and do nothing i mean i i think steps have to be taken because i think it's so deeply ingrained um again how men and women are socialized to be and i, I know that i'm trying to teach my daughter i have a daughter and son um to you know, to not be too female, you know, to try not to adhere to stereotypical norms for men and women, but I'm sure I'm not succeeding fully. Mm. And anything she watches in culture, any Disney show she watches, mm. you know, there's all these messages being sent. Mm. Um, the, the reason, I, the reason I'm thinking about this, yeah. That's, well, I, that's not like, ahead. that's nothing. Finish that, your thought, though. That, yeah, the reason, what... Who, like, who finish? The APS is not in charge of Disney programming, right? Like, so when you say, like, you know, we, well, need, to, we need to do more, are you just saying, well, well, we, we need to be, 
aware well, of what Disney program is and no, to be trained. No, I, I mean that it's so deeply ingrained and mm-hmm. part of um, boys and girls um, that it's not something we can just. Because I, I'm not, I'm not saying that women are innocent in perpetuating disparities between mm. men and women. It's, it's deep. Um, it's unintentional. Um, so I don't think we can just sit by. But I don't think we need to do thing, anything about Disney shows. I mean, I do, but not as academics. Mm. Um, but what, what I was getting at, for example, I'm thinking to myself about impact factor differences and how, um, and citing citations. Um, you know, women are socialized to be more modest, more humble, um, to not oversell your work, not to think that your work is worth as much. I mean, that is well documented. So that seems a direct, you know, possible explanation for maybe men are willing to shoot for PNAS. Women will go for mm. whatever, you mm. know, and I don't want to cite myself too much mm. because that's not what girls should do. I mean, not you're not explicitly saying to yourself that, mm. but... Right. You know, so it sounds to me like you're saying that women are better scientists. No, I'm not saying that I mean, at all. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying there are lots of forces that could explain these differences. So I don't think we can just sit still. And I will no. give a, a concrete example of that. I mean, and this is something that Anne Crane worked very hard to do, in part because there was a report that came out during her tenure as chair showing uh, gender inequalities in salary among faculty at Berkeley, and one in our department was particularly high, mm. was particularly high, men and women. The sample size was, of course, really small, right? It was like, whatever, 40 mm-hmm. people, max, 35, but there was a gender difference. Um, and she went to bat for us, and a lot of us, including myself, got a, you know, got some salary boost because of the inequalities That's that were there. fascinating. So why did that happen? Like, what, how does that how does that happen? I, like, I don't understand who decides ultimately what a faculty salary is going to be and what they decide that on the basis of. Um, but yeah, like, well, why, think, who decided so, your salary compared to DACA's salary, for example? Well, you know what? A lot of times, the, actually, there's a, there's, a lat, there's a whole system and whatever step you come in as, you know, it's linked to a particular salary. But then there's this wiggle room component to your salary. And, you know, men and women may negotiate differently. Men may be more likely to court outside offers than women. Women don't want to bother anyone. Men are like, more mm. the better. You know, mm. who, who wants me? Let me court. Mm. I mean, there's all these possible avenues mm. that it can account for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was. There was a difference that is now smaller. Um, and it took a, a so lot of This is so fascinating to me because it almost sounds like a lot of the mechanisms you're proposing are like based on almost like just differences in behavior between the genders. Maybe that's really salient to me, you know, um, implicit bias and of ourselves and mm. of society. Um, but structurally, you know, Berkeley is, is, is really strong in this way, mm. you know, as a structural example in terms of um, parental leave and support for that. And our department is stellar in supporting women and families. So it's very hard to speak about the dark side, you know, (laughs) because we we have it really good. I mean, uh, I I haven't met any other faculty member across the world 
that has as good maternity leave as we do. Well, this I, it's is, embarrassing. It's kind it's of so interesting because, like, I mean, um, my wife's about to have a baby and there's no yeah. leave available to me, which you could say, mm. okay, well, that, that is kind of reinforcing this uh, gender role stereotype in a way, there right? There isn't for you because there is for dads at the faculty level. Not for grad students. Hmm. There is for, um, um, are you sure? fema- for female grad students. At least that's what I was told in my first year. Okay, you should double check. There's a mm. lot of confusion. I'm talking to a currently pregnant graduate student right now, and she says there's a lot of ambiguity. I need to mm. learn more about this. Um, <laughs> and it's no, in terms of the policies and mm. how, of course, it doesn't, all the things that faculty get, it doesn't, it's not a perfect um, mm. mirror to what mm. graduate students get. Um, but I'm surprised a little bit. I mean, certainly if you were the primary caregiver, well, you know, there was no other... Why, why would I not be assumed to be the primary caregiver is, is the question, right? Like, yeah. if, I don't, you know, if I don't have leave, my wife has to take leave, and then the gender role is reinforced in society. So yeah. It's, in- yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. But I... Yeah. Like, yeah, just really, do you have anything else on, on this paper? I... I mean, I I just like heard you say like you're trying to tell your daughter not to be like more female, and that I take a little bit of an issue with. Like, I don't think we should be telling. Like, I feel pretty female, and I think that's fine. And I think there's also these oh, things when I don't know what the, you think I meant by that. I mean, I, I don't know. Okay, what, you what think did I you mean by, by that? <laughs> I meant right. for her to stand up for herself. You know, I meant right. for her to advocate for herself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, that's definitely <laughs> yeah. true. But but I will say, like, when people say that oh, women are sort of underselling themselves, men are more comfortable. I'm like, I don't think that, especially as researchers, I really don't think that we should be telling women to just overclaim and oversell. I think we should be telling men to be more humble. Like, it, like there might be a disparity there, but I think that's the men that need to do the work there. At the same time, I think women also need to speak up more and be more assertive. Like, sure, but let's try to. Keep Keep that in mind that it's not. Yeah, right? there's I some agree. qualities that I think women have are doing mm. a better job of, and we should like tell men to emulate that, and not just like women should I just to- be more cutthroat and be you know oversight. I themselves. totally agree, just, and I, I let it let us be clear. I'm not saying people should <laughs> overclaim or oversell. Right. In fact, being a woman who's also from an Asian East Asian cultural background, I mean, I do not just tell fellow women um, who I mentor or am some sort of role model for, be assertive. You have to step up because I don't act that way or I didn't. And I'm very sensitive to, you know, that doesn't fit everyone, gender, culture, what have you. And it's not fair that they have to be not themselves and, you know, be these Mm -hmm. people they don't know. Um, So I I try to find ways, uh, you know, there are ways that you can... Be assertive that aren't the traditional American um, white way of being assertive, you know, sure. you know, maybe in writing, you know, if people find it easier or, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sensitive to individual cultural gender differences in comfort with behaving in certain ways. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah. my daughter, too. Yeah. So Yeah. But yeah. a lot of this stuff is quite hmm. I find it quite confusing if I think about it on a micro level. Like, what, what do I do? Because, like, essentially what Smriti just said is, like, I, I, as a man, what I can do about this gender balance is be more humble, right? Um, but I don't, I guess I don't really know what that means in terms of, like, if I'm at a lab meeting and I have something to say, should I, 
should I take a moment and, and think, well, you think this is an important thing to say, but you are a man and your upbringing, all the Disney that you watched growing up might be like fooling me to think that this is actually a good idea when it's not. So I should just, I should shut up now. Or if I want to cite myself in a paper, should I, you know, if I think yeah, like that- my previous paper is relevant, should I not do it? I just, I guess I like in a lot of sense don't understand. And Smriti, you often tell the story of that conference you went to where people yeah. were complaining that everybody that was asking questions were white men. And you, you were just like, well, it was open. It was open to anybody yeah, to, ra- to, to like, raise their hand. So we, yeah, like, so just qu- as a white I man, I guess I'm just like, well, like, should I? If I have a question, you want me to, like not to not to ask it, or like I don't understand. I'm not sure if that is a feasible intervention point for these things. And but then I also am not sure what institutional um, guidelines you you have because like if if you're going to say well we have to have two females ask a question for every two males that's awkward too right so i guess like wh- but i never we- said anything i don't think asking questions is where this really like being mm. humble is not like mm. i think anybody's open to asking questions and mm. being assertive like i think that's a different issue but if you're citing yourself more than is necessary <laughs> or you are in a room and you just walk in assuming that you know more than other people. That I think is really where I think you need people need to be more humble. Mm. That I think is a different question. You can say things, but I think if you're walking into a room, which I think a lot of men are thinking that they know more than everybody else. Yeah. I think that is really what the issue is. Anybody can ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think women need to be asking more questions. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think you need to not promote yourself or I don't I didn't mean to agree with Smadine that way. I don't think you meant that either. What men can do, but especially Paul, as you're ascending and you already have to positions of um, role models and supervisor of your honors thesis students and soon hopefully to be an academic. I mean, there are things you could do. Maybe you don't have to keep a, a tally, you know, two to two women or men, but you could you know, maybe come up in a lab meeting, you, you know, go around the room to make sure that Mm. all voices are heard. And it's not just about men and women. There's all sorts of other, you know, differences between people to make sure all voices are heard. Mm. Um, So I do think we all have that responsibility, not just men, you know, Mm. to ensure, but I I don't think we should overcompensate. I'm not of that stripe Mm. um, that, you know, it should be all women who speak and that's it. (laughs) But and what I would ask for men, especially as they ascend, is to have this awareness mm. and do what they can to ensure fairness. You know, mm. and you, you're you're in a role. You know, you're increasingly going to be in a role to do that. So, yeah, and I wonder how much of it, like, like how many people are sitting in these rooms not speaking up because they're just like now being made so much more aware of, oh, I'm a woman, I'm a person of color, I'm this and that, right? Like, I remember when I was in college, like it never, my race just never crossed my mind if I walked, like I was like, I'm here, I'm a student, that's all I care about. And I, to this day, I think I like, I think I'm more similar to like Paul or Steven than to like other like right to me it's about finding people that you can connect with on and then you then it's easier to speak up because you think of those as your friends right yeah yeah as opposed to if you're just walking in and thinking oh but i'm this race and this person is this race like i that did like for making those things more salient i feel like like we we feel more comfortable around you know people who are similar to us and i feel like the idea should be to like amplify things that we do have in common as opposed to trying to make these arbitrary you know, 
characteristics more and more salient because that doesn't improve like homophily, right? Wow, that's, I'm not sure everyone would agree with you. <laughs> I understand where you're coming from, but I, I don't know that everybody would agree with you. I mean, not, yeah, yeah, I don't think everybody does either, but it doesn't mean yeah. I'm not right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Smriti just said something pretty interesting, which is that she feels similar to me and Stephen, um, which maybe leads nicely into the topic of open science. So, um, <laughs> Oh, in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, like, yeah. trust me, before the pod, you were saying, like, oh, I have you and Stephen in the lab to keep us pushing us towards reproducibility and stuff like that. And trust me, I don't think we were anything compared to what Smriti will oh, uh, bring okay. to the lab in that, in that regard. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, so okay. when... Um, when I came to Berkeley in 2015, um, I feel like this stuff was just really starting to... I mean, I think the, the original uh, replication paper, the large nature one, just came out like a few months before I arrived at Berkeley. And like it was some of our... In our lab, um, we had Mike O'Donnell in the lab who I guess was pushing this stuff <laughs> and passed the baton to Stephen and myself... Um, well, because he was working with Leif, yeah, you know, yeah. who was at the center um, of this. I mean, the P-hacking paper came out in 2012, 13. It was, was it? earlier. Okay. Oh, yeah. I want, maybe even 2011. It's been around. Um, uh, the one the, led by, like, the OSF and Nozick. And Simmons. I mean, Simmons, yeah. Nelson, and... I mean, the... Oh, the, no, the, yeah, not that paper. You're talking about I, I the false the, positive psychology? Yeah, no, I yeah. meant the, um, the large no, replication project paper. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know what you meant, but planting you know researcher degrees of freedom and so forth that was earlier than i realized when i was reviewing this can do you have that handy 2011 it's, yeah that yeah. came out 2011 a, you know almost a decade ago you know mm. we're being made aware um wait a minute all these practices that we engaged in and for many of us we were taught yeah you know with you know no compunction with like absolutely you do this um you know t- almost 10 years ago now um we're being made aware oh my goodness look what what happens when we do that yeah yeah so estimating the reproducibility of psychological science did come out in 2015 which was the year i yeah. started grad school so that's i remember us just yes. talking about it a lot um yeah yeah when, when it happened but yeah, so I that's wanted to That's the one that ask, found like thirty-six percent replication rate, right? That's the paper. Yeah, yeah, uh, for yeah, social, okay. um, for social, and yeah. a bit higher in like cognitive. So yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask your perspective on this. So like, I feel like you have an interesting perspective on it. Um, you've always been very open to us, mm-hmm. like adopting um, open science practices and transparency. Um, but you're also op- open to students not using this this stuff. Um, and in a kind of somewhat unique way, I feel like you have not really taken sides in this, but have been quite interested in sort of watching, uh, what, sort of watching what's happening. Um, but you've also ha- said some interesting things. Um, like I remember you came back from this conference, SASP, is it? Um, yeah. And we're just noting that, you know, sort of t- telling Stephen and me, you know, this stuff that you guys are obsessed with, it's really just not on the radar. Yeah, among- it wasn't then. It mm. is now, I'm sure. I'm you sure. Think- yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I just wanted to ask, like, your perspective of what 
how you have perceived this change and how you perceive the change going forward. Um, And yeah, like what you think, you know, has it, are you teaching people in a different way now? Do you see the research in the field in a different way? Um, Yeah. Uh, You know, I I don't not have a stand on it. Uh, My stand is very, I'm not, I mean, early on, unfortunately, for open science's sake, it was very um, personal. Mm. It was very personal. And I think that really hurt the cause and turned off um, people of my generation and older, I think. Mm. It it gave them a reason to turn it off. Mm. Um, um, But I... So that I did not approve of. Um, But... You know, Leif's paper, you know, was, uh, it was very simple. You know, these researcher degrees of freedoms, really concrete examples um, that I understood all too well. Mm. You know, that was, it was 1,000% obvious mm. that we need to stop those things. Mm. Oh, my goodness. How could we not have seen that? Um, every single one of those things, magically. It was mm. passed on from generation to generation of graduate students. It was how we were taught and socialized. Mm. That was stunning, you know. Um, so I, I, I'm completely in favor of so many of the practices that have been adopted. Mm-hmm. I'm just not. I'm not following following as deeply as you guys are. Um, mm. I accept it, and I'm relieved that mm. it's happened. And it's not the case that anyone in the lab anymore would not pre-register, would not. Actually, it's no longer even a need for me to worry about training you all in that way because everyone who's coming in is already made aware of this. So that, that whole period of ambiguity is gone. Maybe there was two years there where I, I needed to take a stand, but I had you guys, you know, so it, and all the Haas folks who um, were making this very salient to all of us. Um, my biggest reaction to this is marvel at how far we've come so in such a short amount of time. We know how hard it is to change people's attitudes and behavior in a sustained way. And it is kind of breathtaking mm. to me. In the same way I find it breathtaking our mask wearing and socially distance. And, mm. you know, I'm not saying it's not draining to resist hugging a friend. But we're all we're all automated on that now. I mean, we yeah. know. I mean, it's amazing how quickly we mm. changed that way. When, of course, the open science practices took longer. But mm. even so, it was amazingly quick. And the colleagues that I know of, who I won't particularly find the need to name, who were um, slower to adopt or maybe resistant to adopt earlier on, I, I don't have those conversations anymore. Mm. You know, I mean, there are certain faculty that we all know of that maybe aren't as attuned or um, vehement about certain practices. And I am not on the top of the scale on vehemence. You know, if we're going to do a study that's exploratory initially, I don't think you need to pre-register that first one. I'm okay with that. Um, subsequently, we will pre-register. Um, but I'm just amazed and, and relieved and kind of proud of the field. Um, and us as people, not me personally, but the field that we have come this far, um, despite, you know, some of the skirmishes along the way, because there were some, um, and that was unfortunate. 
I mean, it didn't yeah. do anyone any service, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because there's just a recent article that came out in Forbes. I shared it with Paul about Amy Cuddy, who... Again? Said, yeah, yeah, apparently she said that she was sort of wrongly attacked and a lot of stuff was personal, but apparently there's, they're now saying that they're, they're, they're getting more funding or somebody else is getting more funding to do more research on it. And there apparently is something to power poses, but they're trying to figure out boundary conditions, I guess. But that that's yeah. one thing that it felt like was just getting a bit personal, um, right? Where it was like, it felt a little bit like attacky to the person as opposed to attacking the, the research. And that I think was unfair. And I do sense like, I'm totally open, like with the open science community as well, but there's some times where I get the sense that some people have this attitude of like, let's just burn everything to the ground. Everything is shit. Like we're all, the, and that I don't agree with. I, you I mean the way it, we used it, to do things? We should just... Yes, yes. Yeah, just yeah, the whole field is yeah. just, you know, it's all garbage. You know, it's just a pile of shit. And I, that, I think... Yeah, I don't that feel attitude, that way. I'm not, I'm not on board with either. Yeah. Um, you know, in some ways, it's so easy. So I'm, Sometimes I, I, I'm so delighted when we're struggling with some pre-registration issue. Should we pre-register whatever? And then I just... Well, I mean, when in doubt, always go with... Be as open as possible. Be as <laughs> yeah. transparent as possible. That is the default. Yeah. We have our answer. Yeah. Let's just say it all. Let's say mm-hmm. every thought we've been yeah. having, the whole story. Yeah. But it's such it's such a it's, it's so, so liberating. It's yeah. so freeing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's the rule. Easy. Mm-hmm. Okay, here I go. I'm gonna tell you it all and I'm all for just it's, letting out the truth. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I don't lie either. I'm like, then you have to think about what you said. Am I right? Uh, it just makes lying so much more harder. Yeah, it's yeah. so freeing. Yeah, that's the rule. <laughs> well, that yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like, I, I, th- I've had experiences trying to write up a manuscript. I know. With, I was thinking about that. With, yeah, with you and Daka, where yeah, it was made a lot more complicated because everything had been pre-registered, right? And like. Mm. I, I definitely, it felt like a battle to me between sort of this old way of doing things where you get a bunch of results and you figure out the story you want to tell and you pretty much just like set it up in this way where everything's predicted in the introduction and then all the, all the data just falls in line. Whereas actually the way we do things is we do one study and then we think about it more and we think about something else that we want to try and then we do another study and then we learn from that and stuff like that. So it's really hard to set it all up from the outset. And so I think like, I, yeah, I, I just feel like, yeah, the, it, is, it is complex. Like it, even though like it, it is freeing and easy in some ways just to be open and transparent, I, like I've struggled to just write that like in a paper that like show the whole transparent process. And I feel like, like I've gotten a lot of feedback where it's like, Oh, this just doesn't read like a normal <laughs> psychology yeah, paper. Yeah. It's like a and, diary entry or something. Right, right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. I know you're right. I, that was simplifying. It is mm. a little more complicated and there's still the tension. I mean, you want it to be readable and yeah. you want some sort of story. So there is, there is tension there, but uh, I have found relief at times when we're struggling to figure out how to handle something. And then mm. it just occurs to me, you know, this is the answer and it's clear. It's yeah. very clear. It has yeah, been but a, it, it's not always easy. Yeah. Super dramatic change. I mean, I was like, um, for this faculty position I'm going for, I was looking at some of the research of the faculty there and even like papers from 2011, you just see stuff that just would not fly now. Like yeah. 
10 per oh, cell, yeah. 10 per cell in a two by two and, yeah. uh, you know, P of 0.04 and, and like at top, top journals. And, and that's just like nine years ago. Yeah. Uh, no, and that's, that's really a dramatic positive shift. I think that people just would not be convinced by that anymore. Yeah. Can we talk for a second though? Cause you once asked me, Paul, um, and it sat with me a little bit, um, because Michael Krauss, my former student, mm. um, also we had a discussion about this at a um, conference um, about prior findings, the literature, mm. and and what do we make of the literature? Can we make anything of the literature? And um, you know, I don't think that the literature should be thrown out. You know, even with an n of ten per cell and a two by two, um, so forty participants or sixty even or mm. twenty per cell, which still is inadequate, of course, mm. because I, I think those have to be looked at with the appropriate skepticism. But what I don't want to have thrown out is the thinking, the conceptualizing. Mm. You mm. know, because. We, we focus so much on the numbers and the statistics, but there are ideas, you know, and I, I don't even know if I want this really out there, but Dietrich Stoppel, you know, f- infamous case of something that's not actually even relevant here, right? Mm. This, is, this is outright fraud. But, you know, he and I came out at the same time, mm. 1997 PhDs, and I hugely admire him. I don't think I admire him I, I didn't think, wow, his studies are perfect and all this. It was more the ideas, mm. you know, the ideas and the writing and the framework and the theoretical frameworks he offered. I mean, I, I, I see merit in that. You know, of course, they need to be tested and tested well. Um, but I, I, I don't want to throw away those ideas just because, you know, they the were... The numbers weren't, yeah, yeah. the best. Yeah, yeah, I could not agree well, more. Well, they were robust, ostensibly, I mean, but, but they're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, that would be, you know, that matters too. Theory matters. Conceptualizing, building on the literature, you know, in, in, in our minds, not just in, you know. Anyway, I, I just, that's how I feel about it now. Oh, could yeah. not agree more, Serena. Yeah. yeah. I could agree more because, like, I, you know, trying to make sense, for example, of past literature regarding um, intergroup bias towards yeah, mu- multiply yeah, categorizable yeah. targets, I end up just confused like, because why what are you supposed to do like yeah 20 different theories and each of them has a little bit of evidence from these sort of crappy little yeah. studies that were done in support of them so okay we can't throw away that theory but we also have to keep in mind well you know like i shouldn't really feel confident about that theory and i think like yeah it's interesting i mean like hmm. i i kind of agree that like when you read old papers you realize that they were just as smart as uh, like the intros are just as good. Like they 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 had just as good ideas in terms of theories. Probably better so, in a lot of cases. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you can really get a lot from them, um, and it does seem like a shame that yeah you can't write off all that intellectual labor, but yeah. at the same time, yeah, like at the at the it. It is very. It, I agree. It's like very difficult to know what what to do with like the work of social psychologists in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, because they they were brilliant people, really smart people, as smart really, as us, if not if not more. Really brilliant so, insights. Yeah. But all their theories still really need to be. 
tested, better tested, val- validated. Yeah. But then why not pick one, right? If you're mm. looking at a literature and you're like, oh, mm. there's ten different theories, mm. why not think about, oh yeah, this one seems like, you know, mm. has more evidence, or there's future research that has come out since then that supports it in mm. some way, and then test it first. Yeah, we have to. Right? I mean, it'd yeah. be great if, if it'd be great if like you could do that and get a JPSP. Yeah. But right. you, you, you right. need your own. Yeah. You need your own theory. I mean, which you probably can do. People have just forgotten about so much of this stuff that you, you just give it a different name and say, "Hey, look, I came up with this thing." But yeah, I don't, yeah, it, it's no, it, it's, it's tricky. Really and you're right. I mean, this my thinking holds for some literatures more than others. I think. Um, so yeah, it, it's tricky. The whole thing is tricky. We're still making up rules as we go along. Yeah. Yeah. This whole pre-registration. I think thing, I've asked you this before. Like, do you have findings like when that you from your work that you would like to like replicate shore, and extend on? Shore up? Yeah, I of mean, course. you have this interesting thing, and I I don't think many faculty tell grad students this, but like when I when I started, and I think even in my interviews, you basically told me I don't have a research program. I I help my grad students. I work on I work on what my grad students want to work on. And so even well, though, I mean, you yeah. do have all this research that you've done in the past, but like when you're in Serena Chen's lab, like there's, there's no, to me, there's no sense of like, oh, well, this is what this lab does because this is what, this is what Serena mm. studies. Yeah. I think that's how I present it to you guys, mm. but because I want to show that I'm open and mm. I, I don't want to work, I don't want to force a graduate student to work on something that they're not feeling mm. ownership and interested in. But in reality, that's not how it really works. I mean, how it really <laughs> works is an agenda. We just I don't mean, know it. <laughs> there's very be, manipulative. No, I mean, I just want to find a win-win. You know, right. like you know, like here are so for some of my graduate students, recent, like Vanessa or or Belinda. Here's our seven ideas that I'd be willing to work on. Mm-hmm. You read them and tinker with them and choose your top three favorite ones, and then. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna work with a graduate student who wants to work on something. Yeah, you know, I, I have no. I have no interest in. I mean, to me, mm. there are themes in the lab. I'm just not heavy-handed about it. Mm. You know, I'm not heavy-handed. I let Amy take me to sleep. Mm. You know, <laughs> that was bold, and I. <laughs> that funny. A, a, appreciate, and I appreciate it. <laughs> you know. Yeah, to the sleep to the sleep domain, and that was awesome, terrific. I'm open that way, yeah. um, but you know the outcomes we were interested in were outcomes I cared about. Yeah. You know, but back to the original question, like, yeah, is is there stuff that you think like was it? I I just came across a paper of yours that I wasn't aware of about um, On power. Yeah, the high power, high power people were most it, aggressive yeah. to the extent that they were made to feel um, incompetent. Yeah, uh, yeah, which seemed like a good a good paper. Like, are there any findings of yours that you think you believe in? You feel that they're important, but maybe weren't tested with the most robust evidence that you might want to go back to and. Of course, replicate? so many, mm. so many. All of my papers were underpowered. Mm. All of them, and we were trained to think that was adequate. Um, and all the gymnastics, I mean, mm. you know, Michael, that story with his honors thesis, you know, we did some co-variation, all sorts <laughs> of gymnastics, you know, it was a really labor intensive study. Um, and we got it published in JPSB, you know, and I believe in the ideas, 
But is it empirically solid? No, mm. no. And should it be replicated? You know, yes, absolutely. Um, so, so many. And I think everyone around my generation would look back. If they're really honest, I mean, they need to be replicated. Honestly, they do. And we would all sleep better. Mm. But I'm not losing sleep over it either. I mean, I... Uh, you know, I don't take myself too seriously. I, I believe in a lot of my findings. I, I Like, you know, the one that people know very well in the power world, that not all power holders are corrupt. I, I know that in my gut to be true. You know, could I replicate the chair manipulation again and get that to work? I don't know. I have no idea. What's, um, what's the chair manipulation for our listeners? You yeah. don't know. Th- oh well, we we <laughs> no, I think we, I know, but like, we what, cleverly. It's not just I us thought, three talking, Serena. So I, I mean, we cleverly had participants. Our manipulation of putting people in a high power position, a low power position, because we wanted it to be to be able to claim these were non conscious effects. We casually had them sit in a professor's office in the leather chair we mm. deliberately raised, or we had them sit across the table um, in a wooden chair. They had to use a clipboard. They couldn't touch anything. And we did it in this really casual way, like, oh, the lab room is is double booked. We just have to borrow the professor's office. And we walk in, we're like, I I don't know, why don't you sit there, you know, and so forth. So, I mean, brilliant as a, you know, having fun, the fun of social psychology experiments. And that stuff comes easy to me. I love that stuff. It's so easy and fun. But does it replicate? The sample was, you know, painfully too low, I'm sure, you know. Um, And we had other people try and use that manipulation. I don't know how many in the file drawers across Mm. the world. I have no idea. I'm sure there are. Mm. Um, But it was clever at the time and fun, you know. But anyway, I believe in those findings, I don't believe in those findings. I believe in the phenomena. Mm. I do think it's true, um, 1,000%, that not everyone in a position of power um, abuses that power. Um, it's, it's just, it's, there are individual differences that matter, whether it's cultural, gender, or just personality, an individual literal difference, I don't know. But it's not the case that power corrupts all. Um, I mean, that, see, how could that not be, not be true? Be true? I, I know. mean, that seems it's, like a yeah. very low bar for... Except yeah. that people were saying that. People were saying that all the time. You know, that, that was what the field thought. Any power inevitably corrupts. Well, mm. I mean, David Kipnis is famous 1970-something paper, Does Power Corrupt? That was what mm. it was called, JPSB. And the answer was yes. Yeah. And, you know, most people, when they come up with stories of CEOs and so forth, most of the time they're talking about abuse of power. And mm. yet, if you pause for a moment, you can think about all the amazing leaders who mm. are benevolent yeah it's true anyway at the time it was mm. pushing back Why? against you <sighs> know because at that time mm. you don't know that as you can't appreciate because you weren't there at the time but power wasn't even being studied in social mm-hmm. psychology you know and then susan fisk came along published a american psychologist paper saying that power leads to stereotyping Cross the board, proudly. I mean, that, you know, that's how we talk. We, of course, it's on average, okay? Mm-hmm. So, but I'm saying more than just noise. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that really power doesn't always come up. I mean, mm-hmm. and that it's not okay to just say that, you know? Just like uh, Susan Fisk wasn't saying that power leads to stereotyping for everyone, but, 
you know, but that is what, that's the take-home point we're forced to give because on average it did in her findings. So until it was found not to be true. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah, cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's highly relevant. Um, yeah. Yeah. Our, our world. And it, it, it does feel like something that, yeah, we want to, we want to understand. We want robust evidence of, we want to, think about the generalizability of these experiments and how where they apply and stuff like that and yeah that's the that's the work still to be done validity, i guess right mm. still a lot of work mm. i think needs to be done and just ecological validity or is this even mm. like true of the real world is is that how i mean that's kind of like your thing with implicit bias work right mm. we don't look at people with just their eyes mm. right yeah. that we need mm. to do stuff that just reflects more of what's true of human experience and that's tough right mm. It's it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Yeah. I yeah. Um, I wanted to ask as well, uh, just to change topic now. Um, yeah, and maybe uh, last topic. I know you'll edit this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I gotta go soon. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah. No, this is fun. I just have to we'll go. Definitely yeah. edit that out. We, like, we it does not a good look when your guest is like, okay, I. I <laughs> Can Speaking we really up, wrap people. this up? <laughs> yeah, I got, I got to do like nine thousand things, man. Yeah. Um, so you're you're chair now, um, and you're sort of in this um, really important administrative role, and yeah, we're in the middle of this global pandemic, and um, mm. we yeah we didn't know if students were going to enroll this semester. I mean, it seems to have gone really well, at least with domestic students, um, and. It, you know, our checks are still cashing as grad <laughs> okay. students, which, which is good for the time being. But like, yeah, I'm I'm really curious about the insights you have into the impact of the pandemic into academia, um, what it means for grad students, early career grad students, late career grad students like me, pe- yeah. people going on the job market, um, people in the job market. Yeah, what? How do you think it's going to play out? Yeah, I mean, before I guesstimate anything, I mean, this is really, this is not a cop-out by my saying this. This is clearly something that all of us, you know, none of us have experience with. And even the most famous of op-ed writers really don't know. what We don't know. Mm. You know, there's so much being said about the future of the academy, the future of universities, and colleges are going to close. There's never going to be, it's never going to be the same again. I mean, we we don't know. We're just doing our best to predict. Um, I, I feel this that whole thing extremely saliently when I'm parenting, because I, I you know I, I have to tell my my especially my younger one, you know what we've never done this before. I don't really know what's going to happen. You know, and in the most reassuring way, but also honest, like that's right. There's no Halloween, Thanksgiving, or Christmas this year. You know, I know it's uh, I know it's hard. You know, but I I don't know what to say. What are the alternatives? Because we've never done this before, okay? Um, and I think that's true, too, about predicting the future of higher education. Um, but, yeah, the pandemic, speaking locally about our campus, the we will feel the financial impact of this for years to come. Um, I'm glad you're not feeling it yet. Um, I, we will protect you as a department. We're going to protect you guys as much as we can. But there will be... You will you will see manifestations um, that I probably can't even articulate now, but you will. Yeah. What um, do you, so? What just like 
speculating it like in what air like will we have to cut down on um administrative stuff or you i know one one idea is like just taking in less grad students yeah some some departments are doing that just not taking anybody in this year and oh yeah no and we're going to take less for Mm. sure but that's not driven as much or solely by the pandemic as Mm. that it's driven by needing to give you guys more Mm. you know we can't have so many mouths to feed if we want to feed you guys better and we want to feed you guys better so the math just doesn't work unless Mm. we have less fewer mouths to feed period Mm. um so yeah the size the overall size of our graduate student population yeah it's going to go down there's only so much food to go around each Mm. year you know so so that's totally separate from the pandemic that was in discussion Mm -hmm. oh yeah even yeah yeah um but uh so how are you going to feel yeah less staff you know Mm. for faculty you know getting their grants in the help that they got which was already not enough is going Mm. to be less um gsi sections are there going to be enough getting grants in what 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 do you mean well there's so much there's so much administrative work involved and submitting grants so many steps in the process and you have a a person your research um analyst who helps you with that you're assigned a person and they're overwhelmed and there's going to be fewer of them Mm -hmm. um so and they're going to need to be stricter with deadlines because there's not enough of them to not be strict with deadlines you know there's there's all these very concrete ways for you guys are there going to be as many gsi positions available well i mean this year we got great news that we're not going to be cut the budget that's used to pay gsis Mm -hmm. gsis is um grad student instructors teaching assistants yeah Yeah. and a lot of our students are supported that way through being teaching assistants or what Mm -hmm. we call gsis um but there's, it, it, it's going to go down next year. It's going to go down next year, the amount of money we have. So you'll feel that. Um, so there'll be le- sort of... Less that's positions. not because of less students, right? That's because we just can't afford as many GSIs per course. And GSIs, I, I assume, will then take on more students. Well, we're already at the max. I learned mm-hmm. yesterday in a meeting with the dean that the range of s- discussion sections, these are the sections that TAs lead... In our division, the social sciences is from 17 to 27. Mm. So we're ready on the high end, mm. you know. But actually, they may get a little bigger because what we also learned was that the union protects how many hours per week graduate students work, mm. not how many students. Mm. So mm. you could have 40 students technically and just make sure you don't have assignments and et cetera. Mm. I mean, it doesn't make you work any harder to prepare a section for 40 versus 27 but if you have to grade we have to think about assignments and things that take your time right Um, anyway but yes yeah it does kind of way like you get more emails um yeah that's right that's right so we'd have to we'd have to we'd have to be sensitive to all Mm. that right if we're going to increase our sections but we're ready at the high end Mm. in psychology we're ready at 27 to 30 right um i mean most sections are like 20 I mean, I, I have mine have mostly been up, upwards of twenty five. Really? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But you know what? It, we allow people. To, we allow enrollment up to twenty or seven or oh, twenty eight now. Yeah. yeah. But not in stats, Paul. Paul, oh, okay. stats right, right, is different. Right. Yeah. That's a lower. Um, except this year for one or two, <laughs> because 
um, of that issue. Anyway, but yeah, there, there's going to be fallout. Um, and but like I said, we are committed to, in terms of you guys and your role at the University of Graduate Students. We're going to do everything we can mm. to protect you guys from that. Um, but what do I think about the future? I you know. I think there's going to be more online things, even when we don't need to be online. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, there's other benefits to that. Greater attendance at faculty meeting. Hmm. We've never had as great faculty meeting attendance as we're having this whole year. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. People are lonely. Um, um, lonely or it's just easier. Right. You know, just to, hop on a, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it would be for me. You know, I have to be there because I'm leading the meetings now, but uh, I, I can completely appreciate how it'd be so much easier to just, you know, log on from home, you know, pick up the kids already and just be home and not have to rush around after. Right. Um, but I also think there may be silver linings. I'm hearing conversations about how certain things might be better online, you know, um, in terms of engaging certain students that don't normally speak the chat function can be useful mm. breakout rooms you know at a certain size i keep hearing four is really great um, and gets more people involved than would normally be the case mm -hmm. um so i you know i i don't know i i, don't, I think though when we get back to being allowed to be in person it's not going to be all in person mm. you know mm -hmm. i bet right. staff um, will work two days remotely maybe maybe more maybe more positions and that's good for the environment and yeah. it's and if they choose that it's good for their well-being you know I, I mean they need to choose that because of course they lose out on the socializing but some people don't want to socialize at work you know yeah. that you know so i i think there could be maybe this is wishful thinking but i i know there are some silver linings already and you know it what looking back i hope we pat ourselves on the back a little bit at how resilient <laughs> and nimble we're being you know right. confronting this thing that no one can make predictions about i mean i can't imagine what it must be like for our leadership just i mean they're just doing the best they can and they got to make these huge decisions that affect so many people and so much money involved and they're just making it up there's no playbook you know that's yeah well that's Wow. In, that, yeah. in that um message of support from serena chen to donald trump we could just probably <laughs> end it now. Uh, i didn't i didn't realize you were i didn't realize you were so um oh my so god pro -Trump. I, you know uh, what you fail what i failed to say was campus leadership <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the university do not get me started about the travesty that's going on in our country i Aww. really it's just it's it's gut wrenching. I, I could cry about it. It's so yeah. upsetting, you know, yeah, that my children, wow. my children have to see this. You know, I just, yeah. and this is their introduction. You know, my son was becoming aware in 2016. He saw my reaction to what was going on. Yeah, yeah. And you know, now, I mean, my daughter who's only 10. I mean, she's talking about Trump in ways that are totally inappropriate and unfound. She, you know, yeah. it, she, she's not based on firsthand thinking. Yeah, right. um, but it, it's very, very, very stomach churning, upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the debate, I was like, yeah, kids are watching that. Like, that's what I kept thinking. I'm like, they're children watching the president of the country 
act like a five-year-old. Like and, I wouldn't and even what, imagine. And yeah. that is what they're seeing. They yeah. can see that. Yeah. I mean, my Facebook feed afterward with all my mom scoops and everything, they're like, our kids were like, what, what is going on? <laughs> These, it's like kindergartners, mom. I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, you know, preteens right. are talking this yeah. way. They, they see it. Yeah. So. But I mean, the kind of things that this is going to sort of, you know, sort of in, not, I wouldn't say encourage, but sort of make it okay to do in the future, right? Just a way to behave. I hope like, not. Like in civil society. I I, yeah. That just, I so it's that crazy is a to fear. Me. So, I mean, we're, we're both foreigners and like, I, like, the, the, like Americans for the most part are pretty like nice, good people. Yeah. And like, you see like that debate and it makes, makes me cry nearly. Like this is, <laughs> I like know. this country deserves like so much better. So much and it, better. like it, this, the idea, when I think about Biden winning or Biden losing, I, I just feel like so much almost spiritually is at stake in this yeah. election. Like, yeah. Our soul, our soul. Right, right. I mean, I, that's kind of what I wanted to say, and I don't we, even we can't, believe in we that. Can't, I don't either, but we can't take four more years. We'll be like in smithereens, you know. <sighs> yeah. I just, yeah. uh, you know, I, I wish people would step up on yeah, the other side. I mean, you know, they need to step up. This is common. It's a universal human decency yeah. which we are lacking. Well, it's not about but but, but I think right. the Republicans is like primarily consisted of all the people who are corrupted by power, unfortunately. <laughs> like I well, think those well, are the ones. Or of they're rationalizing that they need to keep right. their seats to good do good. Mm. And I get that. And that's how they sleep at night, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. But I man mean, if Biden like wins but then like Trump tries to steal it. I, I think mean that's, he is going to try to well, steal yeah, it. Yeah, right. There's like no, and I just no think that that that's where the entire country has to draw the line and that's when it's time to like actually like get out on the streets and like actually say no nervous but then the proud boys are also going to be on the street ball with yeah. guns those people have I guns know, right? i don't I, have guns well yeah. dick sporting goods smitty <laughs> this is the usa um we, we, <laughs> we can all we really, get a gun we really have to hope the margin I mean, not no amount of margin, you know, difference between them is going to convince Trump. But we have to have enough to convince, you know, yeah, the generals to leave. Yes, regular people. I mean, oh, anyway. what a crazy time. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah but this has been more of a political comment than a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll cut it yeah. right after Serena's inspiring message to Trump. We'll, we'll cut yeah. it. <laughs> Oh my god. It's so um, not what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well thank you so much. That was yes. that was a lot of fun. Thank you. Um, fun to talk. Have a great yeah, have a great so weekend. For, thank you, Serena. Thanks for coming, Serena. That was so much fun. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.